0: Hello and welcome to episode 112 of Just Get Real Job Podcast. I'm of course your host, Jamie McKinley. Thank you for listening as always and thank you to everyone that got in touch and listened to last week's brilliant episode with producer Rhys Cargan. It was lovely to, to know that this podcast is making an impact and I'm glad people are enjoying the content we're putting out there. We have another really interesting episode in store for this week and on the podcast this week we are joined by the very talented Leila Noble who is a fear-to-maker and is currently the resident director at Play Pie in A Pint. And she's also a dramaturg, a producer, and she runs her own theatre company called Clarity Bird as well. And they did an amazing play a few years ago called Moonlight on Leaf, amongst other things. But Layla was so articulate, very passionate. She's one of those people when I just ask her a question, she just responded with such a well thought out answer, which was just really nice to have her on and chat to her and Layla is currently directing a play which is on now called ship rats which is by a very talented writer called alice clark who i know and have worked with before as a script editor etc so i've not seen this play yet but i can speak to alice's writing and from speaking to Layla, i'm sure it's going to be a great play so that's on right now at the or more it's also on next week at the traverse in edinburgh there's links to that show in the show notes and also there's a few other plays that layla has got coming up which we talk about in this week's episode as well. There's links to all that in the show notes. So be sure to check all that out over the next few weeks whether you're in Glasgow or Edinburgh or in Scotland in general or even if you're on holiday from another country or part of the UK um, go and support local theatre. It's really important. The, another thing which I wanted to quickly plug In this week's intros, as I mentioned on the podcast before, but at the start of this year, I had the pleasure of being part of a documentary that was sort of looking into people with neurodivergence working in TV and film. Obviously I'm dyslexic and dyspraxic So I had the pleasure of sort of being part of that documentary And that is now out um, on the Screen Scotland website So there's a link underneath the podcast It's called Working Differently We spoke to Kate Hammer a few weeks ago In her podcast about that I spoke about it in my episode I did with Jack A few weeks ago as well And it's directed by a former guest called Hannah Curry Who's an amazing BAFTA award winning documentary filmmaker It's also They'd also published a good practice guide for the tv industry to sort of get better at celebrating and giving access to people with neurodivergence and stuff it's a really important film really proud to have been part of it we'd had hannah on the podcast as well so there'll be an episode with hannah coming out next week or the week after to get into that more but the film is available to watch now please go and watch it it's a great documentary i'll link to that in the show notes anyway that's a bit of a longer intro than normal but this is a great episode this week with leila i really hope you enjoy it as always be sure to let us know what you think but without much further ado episode 112 of Just Get A Real Job with Lila Noble. Enjoy. Hi Lila. lovely to meet you. Thank you for coming on Just Get A Real Job tonight. I know we organised this very last minute as well, so I appreciate your time.
1: Of course yeah I'm very excited to be here
0: is this your first podcast appearance I know you were just tell me you just recently discovered podcasts as a medium <laughs> in general so
1: I, I didn't know you're going to dub me in publicly as um as so late the podcast party <laughs> um yes it is definitely the first podcast that I've done I've done radio and that is also where I've been on podcast yeah. by the way is that I've just been listening to radio because I'm a big radio 4 fan because I'm 105 years old <laughs> um, and I have just discovered the podcast are so just radio 4 24 7 so I'm delighted yeah, just create your own radio
0: It, yeah. it gives, gives the ordinary mm-hmm. people a chance to have a shot, you know I'm just amazed you managed to avoid them for so long I feel like everyone has one these days
1: Yeah, um, that's I think that possibly is what put me off, to be honest Too much choice, mm-hmm. absolutely too much choice But yeah, no, yeah. I, I've started tapping in
0: Very saturated I feel like half the time you're explaining to people that I'm not a wanker, by the way, but I do also have a podcast, you know It's like i <laughs> I don't
1: know. Maybe you are one. You you might be one.
0: But Lila, do you want to sort of kick off by introducing yourself to us and uh, yeah, telling us a bit about your sort of career so far and stuff?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, my name is Layla Noble. I am a writer, a director, dramaturg, and sometime reluctant, slightly reluctant producer. And I've been working in um, Scotland and out of Edinburgh since I graduated from Queen Margaret in 2015. I started, so I did a drum performance undergraduate there. And I started off with an, a Federation of Scottish Theatre Assistant Director Bursary, it was my first ever gig with mm. the incredible Kate Nelson, who gave me my first break. And I will be yeah. forever. And then I learned so, so much from her and from that job. And then from there, I moved a little into producing because that was facilitated through a relationship through Kate. And then I started. Um, getting my own directing gigs I did a lot of assisting associating and then more recently I worked with Alice Mary Cooper on both Waves and then the Tour of the Bush which was an eco tour and then a fringe show and uh, most most recently I've become the Marilyn Imry Fellowship winner or awardee for Play Pint, and Point, where I am now their resident associate director so I'll be doing three shows there from now until November
0: which is amazing and we'll get into those shows and a bit more of all your career stuff as we go it's it's amazing as i was saying before we started recording it's such a small world in scotland as well like yeah you, mm. you know kate Nelson, i remember like I did feet and film at Queen Margaret and she did yeah. some of the classes and it's like you just hear names again you're like oh yeah that, you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's lovely how everyone's yeah, I
1: think them. for me Queen Margaret's I'm going to do like a big plug now I just think it's, it's such a, a, a hotbed of very creative people and I think the thing that marks out their graduates really well in the industry is that we're scrappy and we work hard and we don't take anything for granted and I think because we don't come from this really entitled well resourced prestigious kind of school everything that we have we work really hard for which means that when we hit the professional part of our relationship with art we're ready to graft and so like I said to you before we were recording grads crop up everywhere in my career and I value that because I think it is yeah it's just a marker of how hard the graduates work and how much creativity and energy put into it and how much creativity and energy was put into us by the people that work there so I'm I'm always going to be grateful
0: for that time there yeah no i totally agree i feel like you're right like I've, most people i know that have sort of went into work in the arts from that university have are all so gritty and like hard working and i feel that myself i don't know what it was but like i just sort of very much like instilled quite a good work ethic in me yeah. as well so no you had massive plugs been margaret big shout out to them but to just sort of go back further do you remember your sort of earliest creative memory? So, like when you were younger, before you even considered like this could be a career, etc.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think it depends who you ask. If you ask my parents, they'll say I um, did a really strong line in creating sculptures out of toilet rolls. But I think that's probably not not quite relevant to my creative career. I think the first time that I remember really with theatre, really being attached and excited and these to, was they took me at a really young age, probably too young to have seen it, but they took me to see. My parents took me to see and the importance of being earnest, and I absolutely just completely head over heels fell in love with Lady Bracknell. I remember being on the edge of my seat, and I must have been like six or seven, and saying like at the end of it to my mum, "I just I want to be Lady Bracknell." And I think she probably told me that it wasn't possible to be to actually be Lady Bracknell, which is what I wanted, and to constantly shout a handbag in the street. And then I sort of discovered oh, it's an actor being here, and. And then I desperately just wanted to be on stage and involved in it and at first an actor and then begged my mum to take, let me go to drama groups and we found like a local one. And from there, it just never left me that bug of just live theatre and creation and creativity so probably owe it all to Oscar Wilde it sounds really pretentious doesn't it <laughs> no
0: nah, I feel allowed to have that you know you'd earned it now as well especially an award-winning director you can you can have what you can claim what you want as your
1: well then I shall I owe it all <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and just sort of this question very much ties in and thank you for your lovely answer as well but like how's where you're from influence mm-hmm. you as a creative person and I'd actually really ask where you are from
1: oh yeah so I'm um, sure you can tell by my voice that I'm from Wales. <laughs> I, I
0: could have, I didn't want to, I just didn't want to assume, you know, you never want to like just get it wrong. So I do not yeah. want to. But yeah. Well, no
1: nobody guesses. It, partly because both my parents are English. So my dad's from London and my mum's from Liverpool. But when I was very, very small, we moved to North Wales. And I was educated in North Wales at school there and learnt Welsh not very well, but I tried. Yeah, so like a, a very small village not far from Wrexham, so right on the border. And it massively it's influenced me, particularly mm. as a writer, I think. So if I forgot to mention my little introduction to myself. I just so I just had my first big commission, which was the Part of this at St Andrews Award for Playwriting, which I won, and then the production, which in the Welsh is called *A and a Ffang Danver*, and in the English translates to *The Man in the Submarine*, which was the play that went on at Perth Theatre and the buyer in St Andrews. Big shout out to both of them, who were very, very supportive and. Yeah, gave me my first big commission. And that play, it was slightly unusual that that was the play that I, that I sort of cracked it with because it you know, it had a Welsh title, it has Welsh language in it. And I thought that that would be prohibitive to me doing that work in Scotland. But actually it's only been, and I'll say this to anybody to I'm blue in the face, it's only been since I've embraced my identity and who I am, and that includes where I'm from and the history of that place and the history of me in that place. Mm and the language of it and everything I feel about it. And also alongside that, my identity and where I'm from as a queer person in the community. It's only since I've embraced all those things and started putting that into my work and and stopped feeling like I shouldn't talk about that, that I have had the success that I've had. Mm. And I think that that massively influences me. The language in particular, I think the rhythm. I've been told a couple of times that if ever my writing doesn't make sense if someone's struggling with it, if you then read it in a Welsh accent, it totally makes sense. But I think I write in, with the rhythm of the, of a Welsh voice, and I've started to embrace Welsh language in my work, and um, because like I say, I work, I, I learned Welsh until I was sixteen, and I'm trying to relearn it now, and I think that that permeates certainly everything I write, but I think more than that, where I'm from, it's just when you make theatre, your identity is what you're doing, and like constantly, no matter what you're doing, it's just, just translating your perspective on the world. Which is mm. inherently informed by that. So, yeah, massively influenced by where I'm from. Yeah,
0: that was such a lovely answer about where you're from. And it's, you know, it's what's crazy is we, I think we'd had one Welsh guest on this podcast. We've done over 100 episodes until, like, and then in the last few, that you were the second recently, went, uh, Priya Holland who's an amazing Welsh comedian but like she sort of said a similar thing about like how amazing being from Wales is and like, how it's influenced her as a creative person and just the way you're speaking about the language and stuff. Do you find that helpful being in Scotland where it's also quite Celtic and quite yeah. strong connection because there's a lot of similarities isn't there?
1: I think so. I think I mean there's loads of similarities and there's loads of really interesting Idiosyncrasies that make us different, but I think what's really lovely is that when you come from I suppose a non-dominant country within the union, which I think both Scotland and and Wales share that that feeling of being non-dominant or having a history that has been in some ways impacted by that. I think that what we share is also a love and an understanding of those idiosyncrasies. So even where we differ, I think there's an yeah. intrigue and an interest in finding out those tiny parts of culture and those little things that make places unique. And also Welsh was spoken in Scotland up until a certain point. And I believe yeah. I was told that specifically in Edinburgh until about the, about 9 BC, I want to say. That could be so wrong and historians going to write into this podcast now. <laughs> but, but Welsh was spoken here. And so I do feel a connection. And I think that's why I love it here is because it has that same sense of culture and that same sense of the Celtic way with mm. Which is really poetic And I think beautiful Yeah
0: No I was recently reading Something about how I think it was the lowlands Of Scotland Like Welsh was like One of the dominant languages Again I don't have any Historical evidence On front of me I could be to- talking We'll total just say it's true. We'll just I think say- it, I think it should be true This yeah. actually ties in Very nicely And segues us very nicely Into the next question About your favourite word And phrase From where you're from So speaking about Wales And stuff Do you have a favourite word Or phrase I'm really excited For this answer After this conversation
1: <laughs> Yeah I do I have too many It's probably quite a you can of give that. a couple if you'd like. You did, can oh, good, I'm going to, I'm going to cheat. Yeah, I did a lot of relearning of Welsh, I did a lot of investigating of some of my favourite Welsh phrases that came back to me. One of them, I, I love the word cariad, which is the a Welsh word that means sort of loved one, darling, lover, can be interchangeably used for boyfriend, girlfriend, partner. And I, I love that it's really inclusive in that way. Sounds beautiful. I love the word cutch, which is like the Welsh cuddle. It just feels onomatopoeic. When I was researching terms of endearment for my play, uh, one that I loved that I've used in there was uh, Vynhalan Bapir i, and it translates as my paper heart. And it's a way of referring to someone that you love. And I think that's so gorgeous and so poetic, a phrase to think of love as something fragile and something that you write on over and over and over again and tear and fold and mm. it's so beautiful but I will say like as a colloquial thing probably my favorite phrase from North Wales is the phrase that I see in my ass. so if you're annoyed about something you're telling a story and and someone upset you and annoyed you and you were angry about it you might say I proper saw my ass." and I have no idea how that works to see one's ass. <laughs> I think it's a really great telephrase.
0: Yeah, no, thank you so much uh, Leila, for that like really nice answer and I give it us loads of different examples. I'm actually going to be even cheekier and ask since you've been in Scotland for a bit if you have a Scottish word that you really chime oh, with. No,
1: not oh god. Oh, I'm putting kidding. you on the spot so. Oh, bores, definitely bores, Definitely bores. How can I not say bores? Mostly cuz my last name is Noble and when I was a kid, and um, people used to call me Nobles and so Nobles. <laughs> in Scotland I go by no boars. I think it's Love fact.
0: it, definitely that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. No, thank you for for those amazing answers. But it's lovely to talk about Wales and hear about how it's impacted on your work and stuff. I sort of wanted to go on to like from when you graduated from Queen Margaret. I know you sort of touched on this stuff in your intro, but like, what was your sort of path into theatre from there? Like, how did that all take shape?
1: Yeah, I mean, I so said I I owe a lot to Kate. Who, if if you listen to this podcast and you haven't seen any of the work by Kate Nelson, then I would suggest checking out Nutshell Theatre and Kate's and her work. Yeah I owe a lot to Kate. Kate gave me my first job and the Federation of Scottish Theatre I facilitated that through the assistant director's bursary and then that turned into a relationship with the producer of that work who then took me on as an assistant and associate producer in that end and he also gave me my first professional directing gig. He had me direct Lana by Paul Matthews in The Fringe which is the most incredibly funny play and I really hope that that has a second life at some point. And then I suppose I'd probably, I refer to my career as the forward slash and a bit of a patchwork thing. So I'm, as I said at the beginning, I'm lots of things. I'm director slash playwright slash producer slash dramatic. And I think that, I think that's the way the industry's going. I think that you can't, mm. can't really be just one thing anymore, partly because you have to diversify to get the work. And also partly because I think that it makes you a stronger practitioner if you have an yeah. own- And yeah, I've been really fortunate in that I got on the L20 program at the Lyceum during the pandemic. That was a real boost for me. And I met a lot of people through that, Alice, Mary Cooper being one of them, who then became a collaborator of mine. And then alongside all of that, I was always making my own work and self-producing. And I collaborated really heavily with my creative partner and friend, Emily Robson, who's an amazing writer, playwright, screenwriter, is currently taking the television world by storm but we co-wrote a play called moonlight on Leith and
0: of course yeah i remember here i didn't see it unfortunately which would have been a lovelier way to say oh so but i remember seeing that all over the place It was very well advertised, yeah it, it did
1: it did really really well yeah. and we we were really inspired by and sort of partnered with the safety thought campaign for mm. he says completely inspired by the owners of leith depot who are the most
0: incredible they
1: just amazing right and they're just really Good people. And if you are looking for a pint in Leith, please do go to Leith Depot. They are yeah, it's great. The, best of, the best of folk. Yeah, we did Moonlight on Leith together with a bunch of incredible actors who were prepared to go on that journey with us. And from there, we won the Bright Spark Award from the Scott Arts Club. And that gave us that gave us 500 pounds, which Emily and I used as a sign to jack in our jobs, really stupid, Um, jack in our jobs and go to Rome for a month and write the rest of the play, because it was at that point, maybe 40 minutes long. And then that was what we submitted to the theatre and political playwriting award, where it became runner-up. And I suppose that really that really pushed me, that experience, to take some leaps of faith that eventually led to where I am now.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And just wanted to go back to the thing you're talking about, diversifying. It's a common word that comes up in this podcast. This podcast is kind of meant to be a bit of a toolkit for people that want to work in various aspects of the creative industries. It's a very tough time at the moment. A lot of people know yes. that. And every, I feel like in a lot of you know parts of this of society, but particularly the arts is like on its knees at the moment in a lot of areas. Even in TV, which is traditionally had a lot of money, like people have mm-hmm. been very like risk averse and stuff. But how have you sort of found being able to diversify? How's that sort of helped your career and stuff? And like, could you maybe expand on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's it's a help and a hinder sometimes. Depends what you're up against, but it's a help in that I'm not independently wealthy, right? I'm, I come from a, I'm never going to deny, I come from a privileged background, my parents are teachers and a lot of, a lot of me being able to do what I do is the unconscious ever present knowledge that, you know, I'm not in the position where there's nowhere to go if everything goes Mm. up and I'm really really grateful for that and I would never want to be guilty of pretending that wasn't the case but I am I am not independently wealthy I don't have millions in the bank and I don't have huge amounts of assets and I you know I live and die by what I get in monthly you know and without diversifying it just wouldn't have ever it would have never been feasible for me to earn money from just one thing because there isn't the, the flow of work is just not that constant and there's so many people competing for very little opportunities the routes into those opportunities are difficult and involve unfortunately a lot of unpaid labor a lot of doing your normal job and then your proper job and then you're you're out of hours just push 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 pushing hoping for that break and that's all bullshit by the way and and not something that I endorse or think is any good but it is a fact And I, diversifying, particularly into producing, which I said I was a reluctant producer, which I say with my cheek, but producing allowed me to be really close to the thing that I loved the most and to keep learning and to keep networking and meeting people whilst also paying my bills because there were more opportunities and more, there was just more work available in that field. And then it meant when, you know, when the other opportunities came, I was ready to take them, and they had learned and grown in that time. So, yeah, it was incredibly important. But the the other side to that, as so I said, it, so it depends on the context, is that you do come up against, I would say, very old-fashioned now. I don't think people that have come into the industry in the last 10, 15, 20 years even maybe would have this opinion. But you do come up sometimes against some very old-fashioned beliefs about diversifying and that if you're more than one thing, you're not focusing and that you aren't an expert in anything I would say in my career that's nonsense and has borne out to be the exact opposite the fact that I know how to produce has made me a better director the fact that I know how to write makes me a better director and they both and that feeds back into the other two have a greater understanding of the whole of the picture because I've done so many of the things that that are needed and also I think makes me a better employer and a better collaborator and a better team member because Mm. I know what people are up against and what they're doing so yeah yeah, i think it's a positive thing yeah no
0: that's a really really interesting and detailed answer it's very helpful for people to hear i think part of that old-fashioned thing you're talking about i think some of it partly comes from just a silly old-fashioned idea of the industry but i think the second part of it is that i think there's some people maybe say that they do this this and this and they maybe don't necessarily do that and i think people associate that with people like yourself and myself and all these people that do various different you know creative endeavours and are good at you know or balance them all I think there's a some people are suspicious of it because there are there you do get the odd person that says they're an actor a writer a director and they're not really qualified as any of those things yeah. I, I think it's interesting anyway
1: yeah I think I think you're, I think you're right but I think that does exist I think it's really interesting that people do that even still, because I think that genuinely one of the things that makes me someone that people want to work with once they have worked with me or met me, the thing that I think has given me the most success in my career is the ability to hold my hands up and say, I don't know how to do that. I've not done that before. And I think that the urge to say, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Is Mm. so counterproductive and that those people who do blag it, I feel sorry for because I think it actually you get so much more respect if you are able to own what you can and cannot do and you are yeah. willing. So uh, yeah, I think that that line doesn't doesn't bear fruit in the end.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point, and I think unfortunately we're in we sort of live in a society where you're sort of encouraged like you can, you shouldn't be honest like that because it's a sign of weakness. Yeah, I think right? it's a sign of strength. I think that's an amazing thing to to be able to do, and you're not going to learn if you don't do that. It's like I mean, imagine if more people just said, "I don't can you help me." like how much yep. better off would we all be like people could just be honest right. about their limitations yeah. we're all we all have limitations so that's a great point to make yeah
1: yeah I agree with you I think it would I think it could transform the world to be honest yeah. genuinely from the top <laughs> down yeah. you know she's doing that was able to be like oh, no, I knew that but maybe we wouldn't be where we are but that's a different
0: yeah. conversation no 100% yeah. you keep wowing well with me with your answers by the way Lily. I'm just like oh my god they're all very thoughtful and detailed and it's lovely I just want, I also, while we're on this, I wanted to sort of ask, I know you've chosen to sort of build your career in Scotland and especially mm-hmm. in the arts, there's often a big push to go to places like London, you know, go down yeah. south and stuff. How's the Scottish theatre industry been for you before we sort of come on to talk about Play, Pie and a paint, etc.? That's
1: such an interesting question. Because I have, I mean, I've done, you know, I've applied for stuff in London and I've made those, those, they've had those moments, but that's almost been my story. You know, a couple of times I've come really, really close to getting jobs at the Donmar or at you know, the Royal Court and stuff and just been pipped at the post at the last minute. And I, God, this is probably really bad for my career to admit this. So hopefully they don't listen to this podcast. And um, hopefully for you, they do. Hopefully for me, they don't. Um, <laughs> Both times that I've been within a sort of Nat's crotchet of touching one of those kind of jobs and making that move down to London, there's been such a huge part of me that was really reluctant for that to be be true, and I think because I'm not a cutthroat person, and I think to survive in that kind of atmosphere when it's so so competitive and so, like so mm. fast paced. I think you have to be someone who's got sharp elbows and and this isn't any comment on anyone that does survive in that but for me I would like to think of myself and I think that people who work with me would say of me that I am a generous person and that I am at my core a collaborative person that really prioritizes those relationships and that creative spark between people and that act of generosity of access and inclusion and I'm not sure that I would find my home in an environment like that and I think Mm. in Scotland we are I hope at least the people that I work with are growing a more inclusive accessible thoughtful and compassionate way of being we're not all the way there there yet and I have I could tell you horror stories that I definitely won't tell you (laughs) but I could so i'm not whitewashing it and saying everything's fixed and perfect up here but i see a spark and a desire to have something that is kinder and that is more inclusive and i yeah. I, I haven't identified with that
0: yeah i, I don't think that will hurt your career at all i think that's such a, a well thought out answer and like i think a lot of people will relate to that like i personally would rather if i can stay in scotland i'd never rule out anything because you never know where your career takes you but like you know, I'm, I very much feel that I feel like I've gotten much further in my career from being in Scotland. And I, I totally chime with what you're saying about collaboration and facilitating and, you know, generosity, like, I think those qualities can actually get you further in your career without even trying to, like, as a result of that, you know, what I mean, it, and I think it's important that more people are like that, because we don't need everyone to, some people are cutthroat, and that works for them. But I don't think we all need to be like that. And I think, I, in an ideal world there'd be enough success to go around and there still is like you know it's fine to share jobs that you want to apply for with other people if you think that it'd be good for them as well that sort of thing yeah. so I think that's a, yeah. a nice answer I don't think that would hurt your career
1: yeah I hope not I think probably not in in Scotland I think there is like a I don't know, I think there's a, a bit of a snobbish thing that can happen down south but you, that's what you should want you should want to mm. be on the biggest stage and doing the most developed the most high budget stuff and Someone asked me once in an interview if I was to turn up tomorrow with a magic wand and say, I'll, give, I'll either give you a West End. You'll be the director of a West End massive budget show or I will give you everything you need to go and do a back of the van as prop tour of Midnight on Leith with your band of actors. What would you choose? And and he was very much expecting me to pick the West End thing. And I went, give me the back of the van. I want to go all over Scotland, tell my story to people who care about it. Yeah, and um, that's what like floats my boat. So yeah, mm-hmm. I love it.
0: But we need more of that because we need both. Like we're not saying yes. one way is right and one way is yeah. wrong. Like uh, you know, exactly. it's like you, you can also do both. You could have uh, you know you can go to London and come back as well. That like, you know people can do that too. So but I think it's lovely to have that. I think we exa- we need to tell stories to more rural people as well and spread things out and not just have them yeah. in one place. So no, it's a lovely answer. Hello, it's JB here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys ...that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated and, I mean, there's lots of podcasts, we all love podcasts... ...but it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth and just telling friends and family to listen or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. let's talk about play Pine of paint and your residency there i mean you've got two other shows coming up so i know you've got another play uh ship rats is on a week yeah less a week yesterday like six days
1: Yeah, it opens next monday which is That's really exciting. exciting yeah yeah i've got three plays with play Pina pint a paint and and the residency it's i mean it's the most incredible opportunity absolutely thrilled to be doing it i'm completely beyond excited that I'm working with Jemima at Playpoint Point who is just everything that I've ever wanted to be and I've been desperate to do something at Play Point and Point this is my I've never done I've never even got in direct anything there before and it's so up my street I love grassroots theatre I, I love things just will themselves into being and have that energy and drive and it, you know moves at a breakneck speed quite famously they've got a new play on every week i think they're probably mm. the most prolific producing house in the whole of the uk i would imagine considering how many they do a year but yes i currently currently rehearsing ship rats which is alice's wonderful wonderful play with uh, sebastian lim and maddie grieve in the two roles there it's been such a great week we we started rehearsing last Monday there's a lot of laughter in the room a lot of fun and certainly a lot of conversations Alice's work is very thoughtful and tackles some of the really big and important topics and this particular play is is really speaking about active allyship and how we are allies to one another and Alice and I had so many great conversations about that and especially in a you know as a queer practitioner obviously i have a lot a lot, of, lot to say about that and Alice's history of living in china and, and really having a lot of in-depth conversations and understanding of the historical context there i think has led to something that is challenging certainly dramatic definitely and just raucous and fun and i mm. I, I know i directed it but i also couldn't more highly recommend coming to see it because it is just tremendous tremendous fun. yeah
0: it's really exciting. I can also, I haven't seen this play obviously yet, but. I'm a massive fan of Alice's writing and I've worked with Alice Clark. I don't even think we'd we'll give her oh, yeah, a full yeah, shout out to her, of yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, I, you know, I've worked with Alice before as a script editor and, you know, she's she's an amazing writer. So I'd urge people to go and see it. Do you want to tell people a little bit about what it's about and get you as well, just to plug it more?
1: Yeah, of course. So we are on a, a ship in around the late 1800s of the Victorian era and the ship is sh- sailing in the Ch- uh, South China Sea. And we meet Jesse and Jin Hai, who are the two characters. And there has been a there has been a murder, just the start of all great plays. And we go on a journey with the two of them as to who has committed the murder, um, which I won't spoil. And. They are unnatural bedfellows, her being a working-class woman from Glasgow and him being a cook on board the ship who's come from China. And they are not allies at first, definitely definitely the very opposite of that. And over the course of the play, we watch them work out how they can fit together and how they can help one another against the real enemy. And there's an awful lot of blood and vomit and drama and fights and... yeah. It's high energy, amazing.
0: And you said you only started rehearsing this properly like last week, so is that quite a quick turnaround for the play and stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so it's that's that's play, paint. that's that's the, the juggernaut that is creating a play a week. So you get two weeks of rehearsal, and then we we go in for the Monday morning, and then it will run. So Alice's play um, and tracks will run from the Monday to the Saturday. I'll get the actual dates because, yeah, from the 11th to the 16th and yeah. um, so this
0: episode will go out the tuesday of that week yeah. so it's still on for the rest of the week so go and see well, it.
1: if it's not already sold out get your ticket now yeah. because it, it will and,
0: uh, <laughs> it, it definitely will out. yeah
1: and then we transfer to the Traverse in edinburgh Amazing. so the, Traverse the following week again from I think from the Tuesday to the Saturday there and um, so you have two opportunities in two different cities to come and see it yeah I know great and then yeah it's really great and then I jumped straight from that into my second play with Playplane and Paint which is called Meetings with the Month which is by Brian O'Sullivan which is a really personal one-person show that's semi-autobiographical and is about Brian's Journey with mental health and salvation, and with some meetings with a monk, as you might imagine from the title. And then the final one of my triptych of plays that I'll be doing with them under the Marilyn Imry Fellowship is Castle Fallon, which is by Peter Stewart. And that is a play set in the boardroom of a charitable trust with some really wacky characters, and that's going to provide an awful lot of humour. So, yeah, very exciting. Really
0: exciting. Well, there's links to all them under the podcast. So click on them if you want to find out more, et cetera. Go and see them all. Very exciting There's so much more I could ask you That I know we've not got Too long left Because we've been speaking For coming up for an hour But like quickly Wanted to ask about Your role as a director On these things I know you also are As you said earlier A reluctant producer And a dramaturg <laughs> And all these other things But as you're sort of Directing mm. these plays Like what do you sort of What's your role As a theatre director
1: Oh yeah that's a great question I think you know it's, it's different for every person And it's different For every relationship With every writer And every play But At first, I'll receive a script and I'll read it through and then I start a relationship with the writer and give them feedback, dramaturgical support, try and work out what it is they're trying to say about the world and ascertain exactly the conversation they want to have. I always talk about the conversation that you want people to be having in the bar. After they've seen your play, what what Mm. do you want them to be talking about? And once we've worked that out, then pre-production, a lot of my job is facilitate helping the writer get the most amount of clarity on that, And making sure that, that everything in the play is moving in that direction in the way they want to. And then my sort of more physical part of my job kicks in. And, you know, casting the the actors in in those roles, making sure I've got the right team in place, and then coming into the rehearsals and uh, working with those actors to get a shape of the play and something physical around it, get the tone, make all those explorations, and also invite all of their creativity into the process and see how we make that three-dimensional and something that is our joy to watch for 50 minutes. Amazing.
0: Thank you for answering that as well. And on and, and a, and a positive question as well, what's your favourite thing about directing theatre?
1: Oh God, that is a great question. I just really love the moment in a room where you've got all these great brains working on a creative problem and the penny just drops into place and everyone it's really I mean I love working with Sebastian at the moment on ship rats because when when that happens with Seb and he get like he gets a penny drop moment his entire face lights up and you feel that spark in the room and that thing that just doesn't happen in any other job in my opinion in any other place of connectivity and of multiple brains and multiple perspectives just converging for a moment of what we hope is brilliance. And that just gives me so much energy, and then you kind of bounce through the rest of the day and, and with a lot of laughter and a lot of a lot of energy because you've had that like one moment mm. that just clicks everything. So yeah, probably that.
0: Amazing! No, that's a, a lovely answer. And I also quickly wanted to mention Clarity. Is it Clarity? Bird, you a production company that or your theatre company? Yeah, my <laughs> I'm so I'm two TV. I'm sorry. I'm calling it a production. I meant theatre company.
1: Darling, <laughs> you're so television. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, classy birds. So that's yeah. me and Emily Robson, who wrote Moonlight and Leaf with me, and we were really lucky in that we got during the pandemic. Pandemic was actually um very good to me in in lots of ways with these programs that sprang up all over the place because of the pandemic funding but we were part of the air gaiety new companies award where they gave us an awful lot of support and time and workshops and things about that and at the moment cloudy bird so it's just the two of us and we sort of scale it up and scale it down when we have projects and capacity but our current project is we're hoping to bring me and leave back so you'll get a chance hopefully amazing yeah definitely come this time applying for funds at the moment to do a scottish tour because we think with van and maybe a fiddle and a little bit of good wishes we'll be able to take it out with maybe a musical element this time we'd love to do something folky with it so amazing thanks on that one i suppose
0: such a lovely title as well, Moonlight and Leaf. No, that's great. Thank you for answering that about your company. I just thought I've not mentioned it. I should probably get that in there, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> My job to mention, but yeah.
0: Are you, so normally in this podcast, we ask people to sort of give their advice, but I'm kind of kind of rephrase it for you because I feel like you would have quite a good answer for this. But like if you were someone that was just coming out of, say, somewhere like Queen Margaret an Amazing University, they've done the same course as your drama performance and wanted to work. Not even necessarily that I had to do the same course, but, you know, they come out of a, a course related to theatre or they wanted to work in theatre. What would you sort of recommend they do to have a career in theatre if whether they want to be a director or a dramaturg etc
1: oh yeah great question i think there's there's some programs out there that i would definitely recommend federation of scottish theater assistant director bursary definitely being one of them i think that relationships are really key so it probably would start before graduation those people that are teaching you wherever you're being taught they work they have connections and i would say that a good piece of advice that i had was make those connections, make those friendships and be the person that they think of when they've got a job like Kate did. And I got a great piece of advice. Can I how badly are you allowed to swear on this podcast you can
0: swear if you like i should I have did. said that at the
1: start a great, a, a great piece of advice when i was graduating itc do um something called itc 999 um, i think they still do it it's on the 9th of september we have access to all of their resources and also you can tweet them and get replies from people way down the line in their careers and i asked that very same question that you're asking and i asked what would their main piece of advice be and the best piece of advice i got was don't be a cunt and i take that really Really seriously don't be a cunt Be yeah. because this is it doesn't you could be brilliant you can be the most incredible artist of your generation but if you are a cunt i will not work with you great um, that's it's a great
0: I, I love it yeah big fan of that one on this podcast yeah, yeah. and, and
1: be a good person be collaborative be be a be energetic and and available and be honest about your limitations and about your capacity mm. and all those things and i think that uh, probably one of my major pieces of advice would be really don't let the bastards get you down because so much in especially in my early career I had so many voices in my ear saying things like oh well you're not really doing it if you're also doing a side hustle if you're also working at British Gas and centre, course which I was and if you're also working at Tesco you're not really actually an artist you're not really actually doing it until you do it full-time that is the voice of privilege and the voice of an asshole, and do not let that voice have any power in your brain because you are doing it. And even if you've just written the play and it's only on a word document and on your laptop, you are fucking doing it. And, and yeah, those people are wrong and don't, don't allow them to crush your confidence because I'm the person that's held me back most in in my career by having imposter sy- syndrome, by feeling like I shouldn't write my story, feeling like I shouldn't write about being queer or shouldn't embrace my Welshness because, because I thought that's what that voice was asking for was, oh, sanitise it and be what they want you to be and bend yourself. Don't bend yourself, be you. And that is interesting and that is Mm. really empowering but yeah practically there's loads of great programs um that i've mentioned and make those connections and don't be a cunt and network and um i run an event called page to stage i should say in edinburgh which is a new writing night and it's a really fantastic introduction to networking because everyone there is really fucking nice and you can can go and have a drink and just walk up to any of us that uh, are there and say hi i really want to be a writer and i don't know how to go about it and we will give you time and we will give you our attention and treat you just the same as anybody else in that room so come and enjoy that and use that as a way of training yourself to be better at networking because we're all a bit shit at it so yeah i suppose that would be it is that that enough of an answer
0: leila that was an incredible answer what what you know listeners are that's been spoiled tonight like this some of these answers Ah. like you know that you've given so much great advice there and like i don't don't even know really how to respond because it's like there's just so much it's good (laughs) it's really good so no it's I, do a really a well,
1: I do love a chat
0: <laughs> no, it's a really well thought out answer though and I think being nice and kind is so undervalued in this bloody industry and it's like come on guys like we can all we're all capable of it and it's it's, straight, it's
1: undervalued, but it also I, I it's like the tortoise and the hare to me is sometimes you'll see people being the hair who aren't nice and you feel like well, that's what's happening in the industry is that the hair's winning all the time and you the little tortoise who's a, who's a good cunt nice to people and isn't an asshole, is just not getting there not getting there but the tortoise wins in the end i promise the tortoise wins in the end yeah. and people who are fucking nice to each other and work well together and, and work hard but work with kindness we do win in the end and it isn't all about what somebody shares on Facebook and Instagram because if you look at my Facebook and Instagram you'll think I win an award every five minutes but there are huge deserts in between a period of time where I have wobbles and I think Christ I'm never going to work again and how am I ever going to make this work that's normal and and you aren't less than because you're experiencing that it's it's part of it it's unfortunately part of it but it is part of it and you will you will get through it if you stick
0: to it. I think that's such another you know another excellent point as well it's like which I've tried to outline on this podcast all the time and it's one of the reasons I started this podcast as you look at somebody's CV you think my god they did this they did this yeah. or you look on their Instagram they don't see the points between the two amazing jobs where like you know myself as an example where I go oh my god I'm going to be unemployed in two weeks yeah. or you know, the self-doubts or the the hard part, you know, they don't, it, people don't see that. So I think it's so important for people like yourself to come on this and to be honest about that and talk about that and be people to take that on board for sure. Yeah.
1: And that's not just like something what I'm saying has been part of my history. I'm saying that's actively part of my life now. So if yeah. someone is listening to this and thinking, oh, I want to be in a position where I'm always working that's not like it's it's a reality Constantly, yeah. you are not alone in that
0: yeah 100 just
1: get a real job
0: Layla, you've been such an amazing guest I just have one more question for you tonight um, Obviously the name of this podcast is Just Get a Real Job We'd all had to work part-time jobs Or quote real jobs that we maybe didn't enjoy What's the worst one you'd had to work?
1: Oh Christ I've done some bad ones I've done charity mugging that was pretty bad Chugging we call it in North Wales And I've also have done door-to-door sales At a very dark point in my life <laughs> And that must That's got to be the worst It also felt like I re- like somehow joined a cult That I didn't realise And one time maybe after air beer i'll tell you the full story of that but yeah door-to-door sales probably with the lowest point
0: Right, thank you. Leila, thank you so much for your time tonight. And thank you for your really generous and sort of well thought out and honest answers. I think, you know, we need people like you in this industry and it's great to get an insight on your sort of career so far and good luck with the Play Pine and Pine shows and thank people you. go and see them.
1: Yes, please do. And thank you so much for having me on. This has been an absolute joy and I will start listening to my podcast now. Um, <laughs> it's old.
0: I'm glad, I'm glad. Well, there you go. That was episode 112 of Just Get a Real Job with the brilliant Leila Noble. Thank you again to her for her time. Be sure to go and see Shipwraps this week or next week in Glasgow at the Ormore or in Edinburgh at the Traverse. Be sure to check out the What's Coming Up at uh, Playbine a Pint. And be sure to go and support local creatives local theater anyone in your local area that's making art go and support them go and check out what they're doing and as always as well be sure to share this podcast tell friends and fam to listen leave us a wee five star review on spotify or apple or wherever you're listening we also have a patron as well you're welcome to donate to it we don't make any money doing this podcast but we love making it anyway so anything you can spare you can donate if you're enjoying it aware it's a cost of living crisis though and yeah that's pretty much everything on this week's episode of just get a real job thank you as always for listening and have a lovely week
1: Just get a real job.